So we are starting a new series today, and, and uh, we are going to be studying through the book of Romans. Hey, and, and this series is going to take us throughout the summer. And so um, as we started, I said we just wrapped up Gideon and, and go through. This is going to be a long series. We're going to go chapter by chapter through the book of Romans. Hey, and so we do not have time to go verse by verse. Uh, we could go verse by verse, but if we do that, it would take us literally a year to do that. Um, but we are going to take the next couple months to go through Romans chapter by chapter. Um, and so, one, in the summer, we understand that there are just things that pull us all over the place. And again, well, I hope that you're in church every chance you have, but we also know that there are weeks you're going to miss in the summer with family vacations and different things going on. And so my intention with doing, by doing this, you know what's coming, you know the text that we're going to be studying the next week. And so if you miss a week because of a family vacation, you're out of town, to read ahead, study yourself through that chapter, um, and, and so you can stay connected with us as we go through this series. I said we'll be going, there's a couple weeks for the summer that we won't be doing a chapter because of uh, so, some special guest speakers and some different things coming up, which we'll let you know of that. But again, just stay with us as we go through the summer. And again, if you do miss the message, they are all available online uh, through podcast and video. And so you're able to watch those if you miss a week and to catch up on that. Um, and or you can listen to our radio program too on Sunday morning, which is one series behind where we are. So again, if you, if you want to hear Gideon again, you can listen to it on the radio um, starting starting soon. So again, as you, um, but I hope that you're going to walk with us if you miss this summer. I hope you're here every time you can be. But again, if you miss, you can study along with us as we go through the book of Romans. And as we said, that is this book of Romans is, is a book that, uh, again, Paul wrote it. He wrote over half the New Testament. But this is, uh, this is a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome okay, and to, to the community in Rome. Again, in Rome, but this, this letter is known by many um, to be one of his best works okay, and his most comprehensive letter. Okay? In fact, the, the, the book of Romans um, is, is, in a lot of ways, a basics of faith book. Okay? And, and he gives us the, this solid foundation of, of what our faith is. And in fact, there's many, uh, many ways that we use Romans. In fact, one of the more popular ways to use Romans is the Romans Road to Salvation. You can literally use verses out of the different chapters of Romans to walk you through every step of the way of salvation and explain, you know, the entire gospel message with just a few verses coming out of Romans. And so as we open this book, like I'm excited to see again the basics of faith and everything that we get to learn as we study through this book chapter by chapter. However, I also want to say, okay, is that this book um, is very um, blunt in some places. They, that, that when we look at the community and, and of what was happening in Rome and at this time and the struggles that this church was dealing with and, and all these different things, right, is that Paul does not mince words when it comes to some several, several different issues and things um, that he calls out. Okay? In fact, as we, uh, as we read through Romans, we're going to get to some of these passages okay, where they, they feel abrasive okay? and they wonder, like, why would he state it so strongly? And Again, part of that is because of the culture that he was speaking to in Rome okay, and, and in the foundation of how much these things shake the foundation of our faith. Okay, and to say that is, as we get into that, and it was, uh, I just want to, as a clear disclaimer, right, that, that, that though that, again, my job as your pastor is to teach you the Bible. And so we're going through it, right, even though it might feel a little abrasive sometimes or very, very blunt. Okay, and, and I say that especially today because we are doing a belly flop into the deep end today in Romans chapter 1. Okay, and so with that said, though, like I said, we're going to, we're going to go through, through the Bible because it's what it says. 
Okay, and so we're going to, um, again, and that's, I'm accountable to God to teach you what it says. So that's why we're going through it. Okay, as we do that, let's say I invite you to open up with me to Romans chapter 1. Okay, and um, with that, uh, if you do not have your own Bible with you, uh, there are Bibles provided for you in the seat pockets that you are welcome to use. Um, and you notice on the outline is the page numbers where you can find all these passages in that Bible. So you're welcome to use that, uh, again, if, if you need to. But uh, open with me to Romans uh, chapter 1. And as we do that, um, and we start into this letter, again, it is a letter, and so it is written in that format of a letter. And so Romans 1, verses 1 through 7 are the dear, is the dear Romans part of the letter. Okay, this is where Paul establishes who he is, why he's writing, who he's writing to, again, all of those things. And so we see that happening in verses 1 through 7. And then in verses 8 through 15 are some personal thoughts and encouragements that Paul gives to this church and to to different people there in this community, also some of his own travel plans and some different things. He expressed, again, his love for them and, and how, how, um, you know, how much he loves their faith and the strength and, that they have in, in living for God in this very secular environment in Rome. Okay, and, and then we get into, again, the, the foundation of the entire book. As, as Paul gives us even his kind of thesis statement of the entire letter that comes out, um, in these first verses that we're going to read. And as we look at that, we are going to start then today uh, in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 23. All right, so Romans chapter 1, starting at verse 16, where it says, For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight, and this is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Kind of pause right there. Because those are very powerful statements in verses 16 and 17. In fact, verses 16 and 17 serve basically as the thesis for the entire letter. That is the foundation. Right? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ to save everyone. Right? And again, through faith, grace. So we're going we're gonna to come back to that here in a little bit. Continuing on, verse 18. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as a God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds become dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead become utter fools. Instead, and instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. Okay, so I was, I'm going to pause there, and, and as we end at verse, verse 23, and as I said, Paul makes this thesis statement in his first few verses, okay, and then he goes in and kind of um, expands on, on this idea, right, and the foundation of, of our faith in God and even who God is and who we are and where we all land and, and even what this world's all about, is, is he starts with this foundational statement and belief in this first section, right, and that is that everyone worships something. Did everyone worship something? And, and he establishes this in this first section. And, and he says, now in this, 
right, he, he goes on in the verses, and we're looking at that, is that he gives a couple options of things that we can choose to worship. Okay, but at the, at the core and the foundation is he starts realizing that we are created by God, right, for a purpose. As, as creation tells us, right, we were created in God's image. We are the only thing in all of creation that was in God's image, which means in God's image, we are created for relationship, right, and for love, and and for interaction with each other, and interaction with our God, and, and that in his image, we were created to worship, and everyone worships something. Okay, now with that said, I want to pause for a second, because this word worship, again, can be kind of a churchy word, a word that we throw around, and that we can define in lots of different ways, and so I want to start with just openly defining what worship is, okay, because especially in Christian church culture, we can th- use the word worship to mean a lot of things. Okay, kind of the most common one that I think is not an accurate definition of the word worship is it is not the music part of the service. Okay, now music can be a part of worship, right? But, but music is not all that worship is. In fact, it is a very small part of what worship is. In fact, when we see the biblical view of worship, Right, the best, simplest definition that I can give you of worship, of the biblical definition of worship, is whatever you give worth to in your life. Okay, it is what you give worth to. Again, we were created by God, which means that we know there's a God, there's something bigger than ourselves. Right, that there's something about life that's bigger than, than me. Okay, and therefore, whatever I get up for in the morning, what, what makes me get up, what I, what I base my decisions on, what I spend my time doing, where my thoughts, you know, ultimately end up at, right, is what I give worth to in my life. Because everybody gives worth to something beyond themselves. Okay, and, and when we think about that, again, what do I give worth to in my life? That is what I worship. And again, to think about, to remind you of that is, again, you can literally say, it is by what do I worth ship? What do I show worth to that's bigger than me? And that is what I am worshiping. Again, another way to say it, what is the main focus of my life? Okay, what am I moving towards? What is my motivation? What do I base my decision on? What is the main focus of my life? What do I give ultimate worth to? That is what I worship. Okay, and as you see, again, everybody worships something. And, and Paul establishes this fact and as he goes into these verses, and he gives us two different options of what we can worship. Okay, the first option he gives us is in these first two verses, okay, the statement of the book, in verses 16 and 17, when he says the option of what to worship, the first option is to worship God. Okay, to worship God. Now, when you see this, again, I realize this is, I, just told, I told you, this is the basic foundation, right? You can worship God, and if we worship God, we give him worth, right? He is the uncreated creator. He's the one that deserves our worship, right? He is worthy of our worship, okay? And we see that going back, it's all throughout scripture, right? But yet Jesus, again, reiterates this fact in Matthew 22, verses 37 and 38, when Jesus is being quizzed about the, the commands, what's the most important, and like, what does everything hinge on? And Jesus responds in verses 37 and 38, Right, when he says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. Okay, what is, to sum that up, right, Jesus says the most important thing you can do in your entire life, all of the Ten Commandments, all of the, the law, all the prophets, 
Everything hinges on what you worship. And he says, worship God and only God. And again, he said, with all your, your heart, soul, mind, strength, everything you have, right, God gets all of your worth. And it is the first and the greatest commandment. Again, this is not a new concept that Paul's making up. He's just, again, teaching what Jesus taught us and shows us. Right, this is not, again, Paul, Paul's not making this up. I mean, he's, he's just showing them the basis of, like, this is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to worship God. Okay, and then he, in verses 21 through 23, then Paul then presents the second option of what we can worship. If we don't worship God, there is a door number two. Okay, now door number two is idols. Okay, and again, when we see this word idol, we kind of think of, right, like a gold statue, right, or, or, or a, a certain figurine or, a, you know, whatever, right, a shrine or whatever it might. But again, Paul um, is using a very, very broader definition of idol here. Right, because he only presents us with two options of what we can worship. We can either worship God or we can worship idols. Okay, and the, and the, now the definition of idol would be anything other than God. Right, so door number one of what to worship is God. Door number two is an idol. Right? We need anything that doesn't fit in door number one, right, which is everything but God, you know, isn't, can be an idol. If we worship anything other than God. Now, again, it's not, it doesn't have to be a little statue. I mean, it can be, it, it can be literally anything. Anything that we give high worth to in our life, supreme worth to in our life, can be an idol. And that's what we worship. If it's not God, it's an idol. Again, it can be a person. It can be an idea, a concept, right? It might even be an actual something, right? But again, it's anything other than God. Okay, so he gives us these two options. He's like, everybody worships something, and there are these two options. Now, again, this, this other option is not something that Paul is making up, right, that, that is that is unique to Rome, okay, we go all the way back to the, where the, the Ten Commandments were originally given to Moses in Exodus chapter 20, okay, and we see these, the first two commandments as they're given in verses 3 and 5. It says, you must not have any other God but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them. Again, from the very foundation of faith, Right? And of God being there from the very beginning, right? God is saying, there's only one God. And again, as we look at the, the first two commandments are in these verses. Okay, again, the first commandment, you know, and the second kind of seem like they're the same, right? The first commandment is you must not have any other God but me. Okay, and then the second commandment is to not worship any idols. Okay, now, they, they, they're, but they are very different. They are different commandments. Okay, the difference is that in the first commandment, he's saying, that he's saying that there is only one God. He's like, don't have any other God than me. Okay, Yahweh is the only God. Okay, he's establishing that it is a monotheistic faith and world. Like, that's the truth, right? There's only one God. Not, not many gods, right? One God. And then the second commandment, right, is do not worship anything other than that one God. And so these, these two commandments, they do play together, Right? And we need that. We need the first commandment to set up the second one. Right? It's saying that there is nothing else worthy of our worship other than the one true God. Right? And we see that from the, from the first two commandments that were given to Moses. Again, none of this is new stuff that Paul's making up. Right? But yet he is, 
he's establishing the basis of the fact that everybody worships something. Okay, and then he moves on as he establishes this, this foundation, right, of that everybody worships something. And then he, okay, is the Paul makes another kind of in, incredible foundational statement in verses 18 through 20. Okay, and in that, and we see again in this, this very, this, where, this is where we find this first kind of somewhat closed-minded, abrasive type of statement in, in verse 20, which is where he says, right, that everyone is presented with a choice. Okay, we have, we can worship God or we can worship anything other than God, but everybody makes this choice. Okay, and again, the phrase he uses in verse 20 when he says that they have no excuse for not knowing God. And like I said, again, we see this, this verse. There's no wiggle room in that statement. Right? And this is the first, first time, right, right off the bat, where we see Paul kind of comes with this feeling like this closed-minded, you know, um, abrasive comment that there is no excuse. No one has an excuse for not knowing God. Right? And his point is that everybody's presented with a choice. You can worship God or you can worship something else. Now, in the, the verses preceding this statement, right, he goes in and he talks about the, the wonder of creation and, and seeing the hills and seeing God's hand and, and fingerprint all over these different things. And, and again, his point, right, is that even if you've never heard the name Jesus or heard the gospel message preached to you, you can know that there is a higher power bigger than you, right, and that creation screams that, right, and whether that's through nature, whether that's through science, whether that's through history, whatever it is, is we see God's hand. I'm right, saying even if you've never heard the message of Jesus, you still do not have an excuse for not choosing God because you can see that. What he's describing here is the, the, the scholarly term that is called natural theology, right? Meaning that nobody has an excuse, right? That God, the evidence for God is, is everywhere. Okay, and then we move into this next section in verses 24 through 32, when Paul starts to expand on this foundation that he's now built for us in these first verses. Okay, that everybody worships something. We have two options of what we can worship. We can worship God or anything else. And then he goes in and says, if you choose door number two, this is what your life is going to look like. Okay, picking up at verse 24, Romans chapter 1, verse 24. He says, so God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. I'm going to pause right there for a second because that's a big statement. And that's a powerful statement. God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things that God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. And that is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turn against the natural way to have sex and instead indulge in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking, and let them do things they should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They're backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. 
They invent new ways of sinning and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand. They break their promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyways. And worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. I mean, does that hit you the same way it hits me? Told you, we're doing a belly flop into the deep end today. As we see this, this list, the, the result, right, of door number two. And, and, and as, as we, we feel the weight of that, because these words are far too real. And, and as, as we realize that, again, Paul is telling us in, in a very blunt manner, I admit, right, of what life will be if we worship anything other than God. And that's literally what he says in verse 24. He's like, as a result, this is what happens. Right? And, and as, we, as we see that and as, as, as we realize that, Right, is that there's a couple things that Paul establishes through this observation of the world and, and through the foundation of, of how what we worship changes literally everything. Yeah, and first off, the thing that we need to, to realize from these, these very blunt and, and frank words from Paul okay, is that what we worship dictates our moral standard. What you worship dictates your moral standard. Again, because if we worship God, he's our creator, which means he's worthy of our worship. And if he's worthy of our worship and he's the, our creator, then he's earned the right to set the moral standard. Right? Because he is all-powerful and we are not. He is sovereign and we are not. Right? He has earned the right to set the moral standard. Now, if we worship something, anything else other than God, right, then again, whatever we worship is what sets the moral standard. But the thing is, is, it's different with whatever you worship. If it's anything other than God, then, then that moral standard will establish it, which means that the moral standard is a sliding scale based on whatever you worship. Which means what, what's right for one person is not right for somebody else. And, and again, because what you worship dictates your moral standard. And, and, you know, when it's a sliding scale, we can never hit the target. Right? And, and, and there, there comes this uneasiness and, and this uncertainty about life and about our world when there is no moral standard. Now again, Eve, just as it says, even when they know God and they ignore him, right, now the moral standard is still present because God is still present through the national theology. We see that. Right? So when we look at our world and where our world is and how bad it is, realize that that has happened with God's moral standard present with where we are. Can you imagine what it would be like if God's moral standard wasn't? present, even if they choose to worship something else. I don't want to be a part of that world. Right? And when we think about God's moral standard, it's easy for us to feel like, and even, even have the perspective of that, well, if God sets the moral standard, then God, you know, God is, is pushing his thumb on me, and he's, he's you know, confining me, and, and he's not letting me have any, anything that's fun God doesn't, won't let me do. Yeah, but that, again, that's another lie that we cannot buy from the enemy. 
Because the truth is, is that God's moral standard doesn't confine us, it protects us. Because when we, how dirty you feel after, after reading that list is what God is protecting us from by his moral standard. Right? And, and, and when, when we know that, right, realizing then if we're worshiping anything other than God and therefore don't let God establish the moral standard, then it feels like we're going through life with no guardrails. Right? And we could fall off the edge at any moment. Right? And when you think about that analogy, like, uh, look at this, this picture. Now, this picture, is, I think, is a great picture of going through life worshiping anything other than God. And I don't know about you, but I see that picture, and my blood pressure goes up a little bit. Right? Because I've driven in the snow enough to know, right, that anything can happen at any moment, right? And, and look, notice, there's no guardrails on that road. Right? And when we realize that, right, again, God's standard is not confining, it's protecting us. Right, and and if, if that doesn't raise your blood pressure enough, maybe this one will. And oh, yeah, who wants to sign up for that Jeep trail? Right, now, again, at least on that, at least you're in, you know, in, the, in the, the, you feel a little bit of safety from the vehicle you're in, right? Well, what about this hike? Right, anybody want to sign up for that one? Right, but so many, again, it feels like that's the way we're walking through our culture sometimes when there's no moral standard. Right now, again, it, it, with that, and obviously people are doing it, right, and they're walking through it. Some make it across, but some might not. Right, and, and the ramifications are huge. Right now, even with that, just a, a little bit of comfort comes from even a little tiny railing. Right now, again, even this one would be nerve-wracking, right? Like you kind of a little bit off, it might hit you at the knees, and you still might go over, but at least there's a little bit of protection there. Right, and yet the more we turn to God, worship God, and he let him establish the moral standard, right, and, and live within the boundaries that God gives us through that moral standard, the more comfortable we get in navigating the roads of life. Right, that is much better. Like, I, I, I would drive down that road. Right, and and when, as we, again, the, you get more and more comfortable with that. And, and the truth is, as God lays out in his word, his truth about what the moral standard is, and he says, if you live that life and you start with worshiping God and only God and establish that within you, what God is inviting us into through the gospel message is this road. Are you saying, it's all laid out for you. It's paved, it's flat, it's easy. Like, just follow the tracks. And by the way, if it gets a little bit crazy, I've got some guardrails on there for you. Because God will protect us. But it all starts with what we worship. Because what we worship will dictate our moral standard. Okay, and so we see that, and we, we understand that with, with Paul. And we see, again, how, how, how he makes that foundational statement. The other thing that we need to see that Paul makes within, uh, within this, this passage here, not only that our worship dictates our moral standard, but also that you can't trust your own heart. Okay, that you can't trust your own heart. And once again, this is, this is a, a standard that Paul's not making up. I mean, this is something that we see all throughout Scripture. He's saying that your heart will lead you astray. In fact, we can see that from, from the Garden of Eden from the very beginning, right? That the serpent just putting that voice in Adam and Eve's head is like, God didn't really say that. Right? And they trusted their own heart instead of what they knew God said. 
Okay, we see that even in Jeremiah. Okay, Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10, when it says the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give all people their due reward according to what their actions deserve. Okay, we, again, our, we cannot trust our own heart. It's going to lead us down a road that is not good. Right, just as he said, like, who knows all of our hearts? Again, God is the only one that truly knows our heart. And it says he will judge by that. Now, again, I don't know about you, but I read that in Jeremiah, and I compare it to that list in Romans, and I'm realizing if God gives me what I actually deserve, then I'm in trouble. Right, and but as we read get this, right, then know that, right, but, Again, Romans, truthfully, is not a doom and gloom book. It's a book of hope. And I know right now it feels like it's pretty doom and gloom. Right? But when we realize that, right, that again, that's why Jesus came, was to give us to pay that price so that we don't get what our hearts deserve. We're going to get there in a second. I told you, we're going back to the, to the good statement. I promise. Before we do that, Again, we see here in verses 25 through 32 that Paul gives us, you know, what life looks like if we do whatever shameful things their hearts desire. Again, remember, he says, as a result, if they do whatever their shameful hearts will desire, this is what their life will look like. And so he, he shows us, he walks us down through these verses, right, of what it will look like if, if we worship an idol. How is that going to play out in our life? What, what's the journey that you're going to go on if you make that choice? Now, before we jump into these verses, I, I want to pause and just say, okay, I'm sure you probably noticed, okay, but verses 26 and 27, they are one of the most blatant and clear scriptures in, in all of the Bible against homosexuality. Okay, now, I want to say this to, to, to that is, again, it, it's encompassed in this entire, you know, overall thought. And, now, and I will say with that, and I just want to address it and to, to tell you, is that, again, it's obviously very clear that that is a sinful choice. Okay, now, I, I, I believe that that position is true, the traditional position of the church. That is a sinful choice. Yeah, and I 100% believe that's true. However, I will also say is that the way that we have treated people, again, our posture towards them has been horrible. And that is our reputation as Christians, right? Is that we look at that one differently than we look at the rest of the list that is encompassed in this passage. And I will tell you, that then puts us in the sinful category. It is not our job to change their hearts. It is our job to live according to God's moral standard for our own hearts and to worship God and God only. Okay, and because remember, the first, that's the first commandment, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. The second one is to love your neighbor as yourself. Now again, our position, I believe, is correct. Right? But our posture has been horrible. And we have not lived out the second commandment when it comes to especially that specific area of our culture. All right, I just want to be clear before we move on. And now we're moving on, again, the effects of worshiping an idol. 
Okay, we see that in verse, in verse 25. Okay, he tells us the first thing that happens if you worship an idol is that you trade the truth for a lie. Trade the truth for a lie. Okay, and as when we make that trade, right, we, we, we don't believe the truth of who God is and that he's the only thing worthy of our worship. We, we trade it for a lie. Okay, and then the result of that trade is that we worship the creation instead of the creator. And as we do that, right, then we, that means we're worshiping some, anything other than God. Right, then we've, we've, we've chosen door number two. Okay, we, we see that. That's the first effect of that. Now, again, the test for what are you actually worshiping, and I encourage you to look at your life and say, what am I actually worshiping? Not what I say I'm worshiping, but what am I actually worshiping in my life? Okay, and and the, the, the test that you put yourself through to that is where do I spend my time? Where do I spend my resources? Where do I spend my emotions and my thoughts? What are those focused on? What, what do I, what is, am I supremely giving worth to in my life? Because those will show you what is the biggest worth in your life. Your time, your resources, and your thoughts and emotions. All right, are those centered on God or are they centered on something else? Okay, what are we truly worshiping? And then if, again, if we, if we're worshiping an idol, the first thing is we trade the truth for a lie. Then the next step on this journey away from God is that we, they thought it foolish to acknowledge God. Again, God still exists. I mean, again, th- any of our opinion does not change whether God exists. Okay, but the, they think it's foolish to even acknowledge that God is there. Okay, then the, the result of this step, right, as they journey further and further away from God, is that then their lives become full of, and then we go into this list that we read. Right, this laundry list of sin. Again, it's not just that their, their lives is, is, pres- is around, or in, it's, their lives become full of it. Right, is what he said. In verse 29 through 31. And then if we continue as their life becomes full of that, right, then, then we get to the, the next step that he describes in verse 32, and that is that they know God's standard, but ignore it. They know God's standard, but ignore it. And again, there's lots of ways that our culture ignores God. And yet, if we get to that point, right, they know it, but they ignore it. And then what's the result of this step is that they bring others along with them. Which, by the way, that's the opposite of gospel message, opposite of the heart of God. Right? Because God wants everyone to be saved. And so the more people that go down this road of worshiping anything other than God, like the more that it hurts God's heart. But then we see, though, again, as I said, it's not a book of doom and gloom, okay, which is why I want to go back then to where Paul describes the effect of worshiping God. Right, we see the effect. And we, in fact, we're living the effect of worshiping anything other than God. Right, and yet, what's the effect if we, if we do worship God? Okay, and we're going back to, again, these verses in verses 16 and 17, right, which says, For I am not ashamed of the good news about Christ. It's the power of God at work saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight, and this is accomplished from start to finish by faith. And as the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Again, because this thesis statement shows us the real heart of God. In fact, I encourage you to circle the word everyone 
right? Saving everyone who believes. That is the heart of God. Right? And, and that, that word everyone, that, that actually means everyone, including all of the people that even right now are, have taken door number two. Okay? And again, I'll tell you, I've chosen door number two before, but yet I'm so glad that God didn't give up on me and still save me. Right? Because everyone really does mean everyone. That is the heart of God, to save everyone. Right, and so again, what is, what's the step of worshiping God? The first step is this, and there's only one step. That's why there's only one, right? And one is this salvation by grace through faith. Salvation by grace through faith. It's exactly what Paul says in these verses, right? He says, again, we are saved by what? By the power of God. Okay, and the power of God is grace, right? Because I can't save anybody and neither can you. Only God can save. Right, and as we saw, right, if we got what our hearts, you know, really took us, if we got what we deserved from God, it would not be salvation. Right, which means anything I get other than death is by grace. Right, it's salvation by grace. And then also he says, right, through everyone who believes, and that is faith. We are saved by grace through faith. And so what is the result? If we are saved by grace through faith, the result is that I am not ashamed of Jesus Christ. The result is I am not ashamed. Yes, I am a follower of Jesus. I not be ashamed of that fact. But as we realize this core foundational truth that Paul presents us, that everybody worships something. Right? And we all have the same choice. We will either worship God or we will worship something else. Okay, it brings us then to my final thought to us this morning, and that is this. What you worship will dictate the direction and results of your entire life. So what is the destination of your journey? We're all on a journey. That journey is either taking us closer to God and he's the destination of our journey or we're on a journey that's pulling us away from God. And whatever you're worshiping is the true destination of your life. So my hope for you and for me is that we only worship God. Right, that he is the ultimate worth. So like I said, I don't know where you're at today. I don't know if you've received Christ as your Lord and Savior, or maybe you have, but, but you drifted onto worshiping something else. But I hope that today you will respond to whatever God's calling you to respond to. Right, and to only worship him with everything you have. Right, and that's the best way we can show the world what it means to follow Jesus, is for us to do it ourselves. Lord God, that's our prayer this morning, God, that you would give us your heart. And God, your heart is that everyone is saved. God, that we only worship you. God, we know the only way we can ever accomplish that, God, is to end up at the foot of your cross. God, to always check ourselves and make sure, Lord, that we are only worshiping you. And God, I pray, Lord, that you would guide us this week as we go, Lord, that we show this world what it means to really worship you, God, through how we live our life and how we shine your light in this dark world because, God, there are a lot of people that need you. And, God, I pray, Lord, that you guide us, Lord, to, to journey forward in our faith towards you, that you would always be our destination. God, to be more like you tomorrow than we are today. 
And God, that through that, Lord, others would see what it means to know you and to love you. God, help us, Lord, to bring you glory through how we interact with this world that has chosen door number two. God, just as we go this week, Lord, as we continue to worship you in every moment and give you ultimate and supreme worth in our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.